<laughs> good morning, good. Kat. How are you? I'm good, Shelley. How are you? Yeah, I'm excellent. I'm pretty excited to talk to our guest this morning. Uh, good morning, Anna Minogue. Good morning. Hello. How are you both? Yeah, I'm we're really good. well. So everyone, Anna Minogue is, a, is an equine dentist and bit fitter and also does bridal fitting and a whole lot of other things we're going to learn about on the podcast today. But I met Anna at Equitana in Melbourne uh, last late, late last year. And I was super impressed with her presentation. In fact, I rate her presentation at Quintana, my favourite that I saw during the event. And I was very keen to have Anna on. So I'm very excited you're here, Anna. I'm very excited to be here. I love talking about this stuff with other people who are interested and not just like talking to a brick wall. Oh, we are super (laughs) interested. No, no brick wall. Shut up, stop talking about this. (laughs) (laughs) So can we start off by telling us how you got into horses? Well, I think there was probably a genetic predisposition for me to get into horses because my grandmother was very horsey. She used to fox hunt. Um, I never really knew her because she died when I was quite young, but I think there's some genetic link there. Yeah, it's in your blood. Um, It's in my blood, yeah, because like ever since I can remember ever wanting anything, all I wanted to do was like look at horses, smell horses, touch horses, be near horses. So it's not – I kind of didn't get into it because it was just – that's what it was, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's always been there yeah it was not a conscious choice (laughs) and also I sucked at everything else (laughs) so I did tennis for a while at school and my tennis teacher was like oh I think you'd be really good at piano you have like long fingers you'd be great at that and then I went to piano and they were like oh I think tennis would be a good sport for you (laughs) so I just was like not good at anything else and I just I just love it and it was yeah not a choice I think um just was always going to be that way yeah when did when did your interest in the dentistry sort of start again the same thing like I remember when I was about 11 or probably 12 or so the dentist came to pony club yeah I was like that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen so cool what is it how does he do that that's amazing and the horses just like stand there and he can fix all this stuff and like my kid brain didn't really fathom what he was doing or how it all worked but I just remember being so like interested in it yeah. and it was always something I've been curious about. So I kind of have that thing, like whatever I'm curious about is kind of the path that I start to go down. Mm. Like if something seems interesting, I'll just kind of waddle down the path and see what, what's at the end. Um, and so it wasn't until I sort of, I was a vet nurse for many, many years, probably 15 or so years vet nursing and probably 10 of that in specialty in um, oncology and I loved it, absolutely loved it. But I was just getting really burned out yeah, and really exhausted from it and just like emotionally just very yeah. draining and very exhausting. Yeah. So I kind of thought, well, maybe now's the time because back when I wanted to start doing it, probably like late 90s, everybody I approached was like, oh, no, it's not really a girl's thing. There's no women. <laughs> it's like a man job. And I'm like, but it's a 500 kilo horse. If you're trying to if you're trying to beat them with strength, you're probably doing it wrong. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's kind of the approach that I wanted to take was doing it very quietly and calmly and just kind of reading the horse, waiting for the horse to be like, okay, I'm cool with this before you go to the next step rather than twitching them and, you know, grabbing them, putting them in a crash and doing it to them. I wanted to start yeah. to do it with them, yeah. um, which kind of works quite well. And that's sort of the 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 type of client that I really like is a client that's yeah. aware of their horse's like mental state. Yeah. Um, and he's happy for me to, you know, to, to work, work with that and doesn't want all the, 
you know, the, the, the restraining and shoving them in a stable and that, that whole horrible, you know, experience. So yeah, probably I did, I started my studies in 20, oh God, what was it? 2011, maybe 2010, 2011. Yeah. Um, so I've been doing it since then. So I started off in Victoria. I'm originally from Victoria. Um, yeah. Did my studies down there, stayed there for a few more years, just so I could get some experience under like the guidance of you know having somebody who could help me if I wasn't sure about a case particularly yep. and then once I'd sort of gathered enough confidence and enough you know skill I came up to Queensland and have been practicing up here since and I love it like it's such a good job yeah that's that's brilliant so yeah I I, I just tell you my first um engagement in equine dentistry and Kat's got an interesting one too with Rogers. Rogers way more interesting than me, but I, I bought a horse that I thought was parrot mouth that had an overbite that made him a little bit difficult with the bits and everything like that. And then, and I was getting, you know, the people to do their teeth, you know, there's just yeah, people that go around and do the teeth. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The teeth guy. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then I actually, you know, you know, because I was in Western Australia at the time and there wasn't a lot of... There's not much there, no. Yeah, there was just not really heard of, if you know what I mean. And, you know, and then the first kind of equine kind of dentist, like proper dentist came out and just I, and and within one treatment, I had a horse with a normal bite. So I didn't actually have a horse with a parrot mouth at yep. all. It was just the poor dentist. So was that that he had hooks that were causing his mouth to sit no, further forward? I'm, no. I'm, I'm, to be honest, I don't, Anna will probably be able to know, like how can a horse be parrot mouth but not parrot mouth? What do you think yeah. happened then? And it depends really whether it's a genetic, often those genetic parrot mouths. I've seen parrot mouths that are so bad I can put my fist up between their top and yeah, wow. yeah. top in sizes. Um, usually when that happens and you can correct it with filing, yeah. it's generally that, yeah, like you said, Kat, like that there's some overgrown hooks. Yeah. So like rostral extensions on the upper sixes, which is the first upper premolar, and then on the lower 11s, which is the, the very last premolar, yeah. they get back. And then that kind of keeps the molar arcade completely stuck from like the quarter rostral yeah. movement, so like the forward and backward movement. Yeah. Um, and then when you correct those, the whole jaw can sort of normalise again. And... Can you imagine the tension if oh, yeah. that was sitting like that? It would be horrendous. I touched some of them up in the pole and they just hit the roof and they've got these like meaty like eggs on the top of their, like right up near the pole because they're just everything so, so tight. Yeah. So do you think that there's a lot of like head shyness issues that could be related to teeth issues? Yeah, it's one of those things that I have to be a bit careful about what I believe versus what's been proven. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But in my experience, I think so, yes. At and least I, a percentage of them. A percentage, yeah. I think there's definitely some of them that, that is the case, yeah, for yeah. sure. Hmm. Now tell um tell Anna about Roger and his name. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so my vocabulary on dentistry probably won't be the best. But Roger was missing an incisor, mm -hmm. um, which meant that his incisors ended up on like a quite, quite a dramatic slant. Um, yeah. And then so because of that, had no movement sort of in his mouth. Yeah, and I guess too, like his molars would have started to grow at an uneven yeah, yeah. well. And you, yeah, it's just like yeah. this domino effect that one yeah. thing, like I've got a pony that's actually got a missing incisor hasn't really affected his incisor arcade at all, but his molars are really affected by it. Intriguing. 
Yeah, so he grows. And they're all uneven. Like, I don't think I've ever put my hand in a horse's mouth and said, oh, yeah, these molars are completely even. Yeah. yeah always wow. some level of, it's sort of like feet, I suppose. Like, you've always. Yeah, yeah. Them. You're not going to have them identical. Yeah. So interesting. And look, I'll, I'll tell you another terrible story from me, from my um, file of doing terrible things to horses. Um, you know, there's a couple of reasons why I do what I do, but one of them is because I made a horse's mouth bleed, my dear horse's mouth bleed. Um, and it was back in the day that I had to see pain. I had to see blood basically to work out that I was causing a horse distress yeah. um, and it was in their mouth um, because my, my, you know, my horse was hard mouthed um, <laughs> when I just worked out that they were just um, resistant to pressure Wait. and habituated to pain. But anyway, when I actually worked out that I was hurting him and I looked in his mouth, I'd actually, and had a little bit of a look, there was all like bruising on his, like there was discoloration on his bars, like of the gums and, um, and his teeth were worn kind of flat, like his first molars or whatever after they were all, yeah, they were all, they were like flattened. Is that something you, you see in horses mouth regularly? And was that caused by me? It's one of those, it's one of those horrific moments where you go, I'm not going to talk about that, that like, look at the damage in the mouth. Yeah, but that's, that's how we do better. You know, if you'd never seen that, never knew about that, you would have continued to do the same thing for for a lot longer. Yeah. Um, and I guess the mole, yeah, the mole is being worn down by the bit. I can tell which rein a horse is heavy on by their teeth. So I'll say, oh, they, do they pull on the right rein or are they, do they lean on the right rein? Because you can tell that they're, they're, you know, their right molar is completely yeah. On a different angle wow. to the left one um and the bleeding and stuff in the mouth and the wounds and the cuts and all of the horrible stuff is exactly why I started doing bit fitting because I was going out to clients and looking in horses mouths I'm like why what is this like why do these horses have all these little purple pinches? yes they were purple this purple discoloration yeah yeah and why are they you know why are these injuries happening I couldn't figure it out well I could I was like it's the bit duh but I didn't know exactly what about the bit it was or how to fix it or how to help people. And yeah. those things are there. Everybody's all concerned about like the loose ring bits pinching on the outsides of the loose. Yes. Like to be <laughs> honest, I've seen that like once. Um, what yeah, I see wow. all the damage on the inside and the tearing and the pinching and all of those wounds on the inside of the mouth and the friction, that's another big one, friction burns. Friction um, burns? Where do you see yeah. that? So on the- right on the inside of like the lit commissure, little bit on the bottom of the lip so where the two the top and bottom lip meet like this yeah. is the bit yep. in the corner in the corner of the mouth the kind of thing the bottom and that's generally in bits that are either too thick or too big or both because wow. as you've got the rider taking more weight in one rein and then maybe you know you show jumper say you've got a yeah quite yeah sharp turns yeah um, you've got the bit sliding from left to right and causing all of these friction injuries or if the bit's too large there just isn't the space to accommodate the yeah. bit so it's rubbing on the tissue and that's you know that old like oh the thick bit's the kind bit yeah like, yeah that's such like, a myth when I, I don't know if I I can't remember if I talked about it in my bit fitting talk but I um dutifully went off to Horseland or you know unnamed tack shop and bought <laughs> a um the thickest bit I could find when I was probably with my horse George I was probably like 20 I don't know 21 something like that 22 yeah. went and bought the big fat bit because everybody said the big fat bit's the best one yeah put this thing in his mouth and he had like looking back at it now he has a really short smile a tiny little mouth yeah big warm blood lots of tissues 
like lots of mouth tissue. Yeah. Who ran around like, ah, yeah. <laughs> because I just like big, you know, single jointed, big, nasty, fat sucker in his mouth. And I yeah. was like, oh, that's what everyone says to use. Yeah, that's yeah. kind what of the instructor so, said. And I'm like, oh my God, what have I done to this poor horse? So can I just ask you, um, with other, like, so we've just talked about injuries you might see on the inside of the lip, on the bars, on the teeth. Do you see anything on the tongue or the roof of the mouth, the palate of the mouth? Yeah, the palate is generally reserved for quite aggressive ported bits. So your Western ported bits when they're not used in a correct way and the same thing with like an English way mouth. So they're not used to be meant to be used with any more really than the weight of the rain and a very, very small rain aid. Um, it's when those bits are pulled on and the angle changes and that port pushes up into the roof of the mouth. Tongue injuries actually aren't that common um, because the tongue's so mobile, horses can get it out of the way really easily. So if it's pinching or something's happening, they can retract it. There are a bunch of studies that have been done, a really good one done in Finland, and they, they had a percentage of horses out of their pool that had some tongue injuries, but not as common as like the, the lip injuries because that tissue's got no they have no control over that tissue it just flops around yeah and so I find that really interesting because I would say that I probably see a lot more tongue injuries than lip injuries but maybe I have to look a little closer and it will depend too if you're doing a lot of racehorses like standard breads racehorses yes they have tongue injuries because they have tongue ties and they can't get their tongues out of the way yeah okay Um, so that's the difference yeah yeah yeah. but but performance horses I don't really do racehorses so performance horses um, they're the one they generally don't have tongue injuries they have, have lip injuries more but the other thing is too that unless you really go like hunting for them and you peel all the lips and everything back yeah they're quite hard to spot they're really yeah. difficult to spot yeah interesting so that was how you got interested in bit fitting what did that look like like how did you was there courses available in Australia for you to go looking at bit fitting yeah, well, no, not well, yes and no. Um, <laughs> yes, no, maybe. Um, we, yeah, there was a couple that I could do online. So Nua Shula yep. got a really good one called the Academy and I went through those ones. Yep. Um, and then I did um, Horse Bit Fish. I think it, she's in the UK, did that one, kind of did everything that I could do here. So I did yep. bomber stuff. I haven't done the final bomber things because pandemic and whatnot. Yeah. I just, I gathered as much as I could from as many yeah. sources as I yeah. could. Some of them Perfect. were completely conflicting. Yeah. Really? Yeah, which I found really, really interesting. So some things that one bit brand will say is a strong bit, another bit brand will say is a soft bit. Wow. Can you give us an example? I don't really want to sort of. Oh, okay. Do uh, any, like, um, it- yeah, but the shapes of certain bits. Yeah, um, okay. There yeah. are some companies that say that this is a, a good shape and none, it just, didn't make sense in my mind the way that bits are made and they say this bit puts pressure on this area yeah it just doesn't make sense like I can't get it to make sense in my head so I thought I need to go and look at somebody's you know study with somebody who's not selling bits yeah yeah, yeah. Over to, so um, is there much research in the industry yeah there is there is um Anua Shula are probably the leaders in the research that goes on yeah. um they are They've got some very, very clever Laurinary people there who, uh, yeah, the the mathematics that you've got to understand to yeah. do their course is like, 
you need like physics. You need an idiot of a physics degree to do it. I love that. That's awesome. Blowing my mind. So from that point of view, yes, the mechanics, I guess, of the bit is very interesting to learn from them. But then like what's the practical application of that? And just because something that does a thing, you've got all these different factors at play. You've got a rider, you've got a horse, you've got Yeah, you can't. Yeah. It's so much. And I thought, well, I, I just need, I need, I need to learn more. So I went over to the Netherlands and did um, the International College for Bit Fitters over there and with Natasha Van Eck. And she was amazing. Yeah. And I learned so much stuff there. Um, we did a lot of sort of hands on stuff. Mm. So double bridle, a lot of double bridle things. And it was, it was really good because we had quite a high level of rider there. And I oh, love okay. Highly level, high level of trained horse, yeah. And so you can remove a lot of the factors that can be at play that I see on a daily basis. Yeah. That's really the variables, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, because you've got you know these kids that have been trained to ride dressage since they were they could walk. Um, yeah, they don't get molly coddled and pandered. They get told you're not good enough to ride in a double bridle. Go away and get better. Yeah, yeah. And they go away and they get better. So we don't do that here. So no, here in Australia, it's like, what, you can't stop your off the track thoroughbred, whack this on him. <laughs> well, exactly. And, and, and it's, they've got, you know, highly trained horses. They don't mess, they're not messing around with, you know, horses that are, you know, not even suitable for riding, you know, <laughs> there's a, yeah. yeah, without sounding awful. Um, but the horses are really highly trained. And so that takes a huge amount of the, yeah, like you said, the variable out of it. Does the horse understand the cue that the aid that's being asked or is he, is the bit not working? You know, cause a lot yeah. of the time it's a training thing, not a, not yeah. a bit. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so that was interesting. I learned a lot, lot over there. I went over to the UK at the same time and did the master settlers bridal fitting thing there as well. Um I'm still learning every day. Like I think every single horse teaches me something new mm. and I'm, it's so, it, yeah, it's just, I find it really interesting. And it's, it's just when I think I know a thing, I'll find a horse that, that thing doesn't work on yeah. <laughs> because of the variable factor. Like the biomechanics yeah. is a huge thing as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's sort that's of, a, yep. <laughs> that's very fascinating. Can you tell us though, there must be some, so let's have a look at the, you know, when you look at a horse's mouth, what are the basic things that you're looking at? Because I know there's probably a hell of a lot more complexity to it, but the the basic things that everyday people can understand, you know, the bits that are important that you're going to look at, like palate height or, you know, or that type of thing. So what are the basic things you look at in a horse's mouth when you're deciding on a bit? On a bit, yeah. So really mouth size is a big one. So the palette isn't really that important in that we all think double jo- single jointed bits push up and poke into the palette. Yeah, no. But in fact, they don't. They um, go, do they, how, which way do they go? Do they go forward? The front teeth. Okay. Yeah, so if you take the pressure, they'll, they'll push forward into the front teeth. And that was one of the things I like all these bit companies say, a bit doesn't cause palate pressure. I'm like, but they don't anyway. I don't get it. Unless you've got like a voucher or something. Anyway, yeah. sorry getting distracted um so I look at things like lip length and that tells me more about the fit of the bit than the actual bit itself oh really okay yeah look at the volume of tissue in the mouth so if I've got a, t- a horse with lots and lots of like really mobile floppy lip tissue mm. I'll tend to steer away from things like double jointed bits if I can because sometimes yeah. they can be responsible for pinching yeah the other thing that I do is I always measure the mouth so 
I can eyeball it 99% of the time, but I think people like it when I put the measure in there and get the, you know, get the right yeah. measurement and everything. And that's um, the measurement across, like... From lip to lip, yeah. From lip to yeah. lip. So yeah. that's going to give you the, like, the length and the size yeah. of your bit. Yeah. And do yeah. you put it in their mouth when you measure? I know that's such a silly question, but you go up to the point of the lips here. That's the measurement that you yeah, take? Yeah, so I go up to the point where you'd have a bit. So yes. because you'll get a different measurement depending on how high you have it. So yeah. I would go up to sort of the point where it looks like I'd put a bit in um, mm-hmm. and then measure from there. And you usually, everybody's got bits in that are too big. That's the one big thing that I, I notice. Um, so they'll often have a four and a half inch, a five and a half inch bit and I'll measure the horse at like a 110 which is like a four point something inch. So yeah. because of that tissue factor, I don't like to fit bits that are too large. I like to fit them quite small so that they're, when they move side to side, you're not There's getting- There's not the slip. Uh, yeah. Exactly. And the joints in the center of the bit aren't moving and catching on the tissue. Yeah. So, so do you think that we have bits that are too big because normally when you go to the saddlery, most things are five or five and a half inch? Yeah, well, I think they call a pony bit is four and a half, a cob yeah. is a five and a full is a five and a half. So people go, yeah. oh, I've got a 16-hand horse that, oh, he must need a five and a half inch bit. Mm-hmm. But I'll go and put those, most of those thoroughbreds with really small mouths will go in a four and a half. They need yeah. a pony size. And I think that's the confusion is because people go, oh, my horse is big, so I, the bit should be big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so and they're the sort of, most of the things I look at is lip tissue, tongue as well, if the horse has got a really deep tongue. Yeah. Because then I know the thickness. Normally with the bit thickness, I'll stick around the 12 to 14 mil mark. I don't like to go any thinner than that for the purposes of like performance horses. 10 mil is just generally too thin. Yeah. Anything bigger than 14 mil starts to displace a lot of the mouth tissues. So you've got tongue displacement. Yeah. It's got to go somewhere. There is no room in the mouth for a bit. So So do you think that ponies having smaller mouths, you'd go a thinner bit or not normally? It depends on the pony. So if I've got like a really fine little, um, say riding pony, Mm. really fine features and a little fine mouth, I won't put a super thin bit in that pony's mouth. If I've got a cob pony with a lot of mouth tissue, I'll tend to use a thinner bit for that. Yeah, okay. Um, and generally when you've got kids riding ponies you know pressure on the mouth if you know because kids can be a little bit sort of you know all over the place yeah yeah. all over the place with the with the pressure um the thinner the bit obviously the smaller surface area and the more damage that you can cause so I'll go as thick as I can without causing discomfort and like having too much stuff in the way Um, but not so you know because then if they make mistakes it's it's less offensive to the horse really with a thicker slightly thicker bit but 12 to 14 mil for most is generally the and that's usually I think that's sort of most of the disciplines that have rules around bits are around that sort of size Mm. so so I'm just going to summarize it so so far we've got um length of mouth Yep, like the size of the mouth and, and the size for the mouth across. So, um, and the tongue. Now, is there any kind of teeth thing that you take into consideration or the bars of the horse or, or anything like that? Look, teeth really shouldn't come into play with bits because when you've got a canine, like if you've got a male horse and it's got canines, the bit should be well and truly up away from those. Yeah. But that can be quite hard to fit because some horses have got canine teeth that are quite far back. So when I fit yeah. a bit to a gelding, I'll always make sure that the bit, if I pull the bit forward, it doesn't bang into the back of the canine. Yeah. yeah. 
um, but you also don't want it high, so high up that it's going to be anywhere near a molar. So yeah. it's that, like sometimes it's one hole. That's the, you know, you've got maybe five mil of space to put that bit. So you've got to be quite um, careful about your adjustability of the bit mm-hmm. and where you put it in the mouth. Mares are a lot easier because <clears throat> they've got a lot more room. Yeah, okay. They have the canine teeth factor. So that's just a, a boy horse thing. And then mm-hmm. you've got wolf teeth to worry about, which... Yeah. Yeah, look, wolf teeth are a funny thing. I, I I do horses in double bridles that are Grand Prix and they've got giant wolf teeth and they don't bother them at all and they're in double bridles and it's not a problem. Um, you also have some that are quite reactive if the bit hits the wolf tooth. Mm. Um, a lot of the injuries I see to mouths are from the teeth and the bit combined because if you take a contact on one rein, it pulls all that lip tissue over the top of the tooth. So if there's a sharp wolf tooth or a hook or a sharp point on the front or the outside edge of the upper, like the upper first premolar that yeah. will pick into the skin and cause tears in the skin. So ridden horses always need to have good dental care and have those teeth like rounded off so that doesn't yeah, cause any okay. issue. Can I right. just ask you, what are wolf teeth? What are they? They're like a little vestigial tooth that sits in front of the first upper premolar. So I thought I knew why they were there, but then I didn't. Um, so you think you know a thing and then it turns out you don't know the thing so they I I had this idea I'm like oh their heads are getting bigger and you know over like 50 million years they've gone from being these little like teeny tiny cat sized things to giant you know things clearly they're making another tooth right like that would make sense they need more food they need more fiber they need to chew more that you know blah 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 yeah but then they found a horse that like I can't remember when oh maybe 20 million years yeah frozen horse something I can't remember anyway and it had a wolf tooth and I was like dang it <laughs> that was my idea <laughs> so logically to me I'd be like well they're surely they're making an extra tooth but it doesn't you know doesn't seem to be the case so uh, to answer your question there are a lot of theories out there but nobody yeah. no one really knows and is and it is it certain breeds, breeds that get them more or is this really. a bit more random not that I've found, they're equal amongst mares and geldings. So a lot yeah. of people think, oh, I've got a mare so they won't have wolf teeth. Whereas the canines and the wolf teeth often get muddled up. And yeah, I have a lot okay. of people say, oh, my horse has got wolf teeth. Can you come out and take them out? And I'll get out there. And it's just a normal pair of canines. Yeah. And we don't take canines out because they're really, really big and really, really long. And they've got sort of a hook. They've got like a, a sort of a hooky shape. And so if yeah. you start digging around in a jaw, then you're going to, there's no point to taking them out. They don't do anything problematic. Um, but they get mixed up with wolf teeth quite a lot. And so, yeah, the wolf teeth, yeah, they don't, I think they don't do anything. Yeah. It's like wisdom teeth for us. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit, little bit. And they can just be a bit annoying. And so sometimes we take them out. Um, People swear up and down that they would never ride a horse with wolf teeth. I have other people that's horses have had them for many years. I think it depends a little bit on the riding style as well and the type of (laughs) Yeah how much like yeah you know how much pressure there is and all that kind of thing yeah my powerpoint's just come undone so if you were having a young horse would you take wolf teeth out um not necessarily I've got I had a young warm blood who I rode I I mouthed him with his wolf teeth in wasn't a problem um I I mouthed him in a really soft like flexible rubber bit so there was no like getting onto the wolf teeth and he was fine with them and then I took them out and he was no different so <laughs> yeah okay. fair enough but it's just one of those things that yeah everybody's always said they've got to come out 
I think a lot of a to-do gets made about them when potentially they're not that much of an issue in all horses, but you certainly have horses who are quite reactive to them. So is it worth taking them out to prevent the issues later on? Look, it depends. It depends on the type of wolf teeth. Because I, I see some and they're like the size of my thumb. And they are massive and there's a huge root underneath the gum. Mm. If you can't safely and, you know. You don't want to leave bits in there. You don't want to leave bits in there. And I see it all the time. I go out to a horse and it's got like wolf tooth fragments because somebody's come along with a chisel and banged it out and left chunks in there. And that causes a bigger, that causes a bigger problem. That's a bigger problem. Yeah. Yeah. So if it can be done safely, I just don't think we should be, you know, doing giant wolf tooth removals on horses without pain relief. and um you know sedation and stuff in this sort of day and age so I'll take them out if they're a little bit loose or a little bit like small or whatever and they're easy to pop out you know that they won't be a problem but the big stinkers I'll generally refer those to a vet because I've had vets say like can you oh my god I hate you for sending me that it took me four hours to get it out (laughs) and you're like well that's (laughs) That's better you than me yeah yeah I just it's case by case for me Yeah. yeah All right, I got a good question for you. So everything that you've seen about, you know, the damage of bits in horse's mouth, and of course it's damaged normally because of all, you know, there's a whole lot of factors that go into to say necessarily creating the damage. Like I can tell from my, I created damage because I know, because I was balancing on the horse's mouth so my seat wasn't good enough and I had no idea about the training to train the horse how to follow the bit. So I was just using brute force and and he, of course, was protecting himself by bracing into the pressure. So that was the reason, not necessarily the bitter other factors that led to that damage. However, Anna, has it ever made you want to go bitless? What do you think of bitless? You get exactly the same problems bitless. Exactly. And now that's what I'd like to hear about. (laughs) Tell me some problems with bitless. Yeah, you get you get the habituation to pressure because if people mm-hmm. are still holding on, they're still holding on and you've got either pressure on the nose, pressure under the curb, whatever bitless bridle you've chosen to use. So if that's not fixed, you'll get the same problem. You'll get the bracing of that like brachiocephalic muscle under the neck because they'll be still protecting themselves or they just push against you. They'll push against the pressure on the nose. So if it's not a like release situation, then yeah, they'll habituate to whatever pressure it is that you yeah. applying with your bitless bridle. And it doesn't improve your riding and it doesn't improve the horse's training in the long term. Which I, I love bitless bridles. I think they're fantastic, but I don't like them when they're used for horses that like, oh well, he just he's got a hard mouth. So we'll use a bitless bridle. Because the steps that led to that hard mouth will still lead you there in the bitless. Well there's no such thing as a hard mouth horse. There's not no, no that's <laughs> a training problem. Right. Well yeah. exactly. <laughs> Now that's really interesting. All right. I, I'm intrigued. I, I don't know how you're going to feel about answering this, but what sort of percentage of horses do you come across when you're bit fitting that it's a training issue versus a bit fitting issue? Mm. Can I say 100? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because um, yeah, I, I struggle with bit fitters because a lot of my people that tell me they've got people bit fitting their horses I don't think they might need a bit fitter versus they need to change the way that they're riding yeah and look I suppose there's there's massive extremes and so there's an extreme whereby the horse has got no idea what a stop from a rain aid is no idea so like the rider goes to go whoa stop with the reins you know they use their seat and posture first or if Mm -hmm. um, and then they put the pressure on the reins the horse just bears down and keeps going 
Yeah. Um, in those cases, I'll give the rider more of like a groundwork lesson. We'll do a little bit on the ground, pop off. I'll show you this is what it should yeah. look like kind of thing. Um, or you get the horses that like, say I'll have a Grand Prix horse that starts to like lean a little bit through a change or start to like just get a little bit heavy and strong through the rain and they'll want a different double bridle. They'll want a stronger way mouth or something. Yeah. Like, okay, no, because we've got to go back and just retrain that half halt aid so that the horse is receptive to the half halt aid so that when you're doing your changes, they can't grab and take over. Um, yeah. And that then comes back to prelim stuff. It comes back to yeah. like breaking in. Yeah. So even if a horse is really highly trained, they still have these moments where they can, the adrenaline goes and they can get a little bit takey ovary. Yeah. In those cases, I won't generally mess around with bits too much, but then you've got horses like the off-the-track thoroughbred that you know, tenses the neck muscles, puts the head up, is bracing and guarding itself against bit pain. And those horses I have, have had massive trauma around the bit. Yeah. yeah. So I get that, like, yes, there's a massive amount of training that needs to be done with those horses. And, yes, a bit fitter might come out and we would think, oh, you know, a bit's not going to fix that horse. It won't fix the horse, but what it will do, what I like to do is even sometimes use a different material so that you're yeah. not triggering that behaviour yeah. horse from a metal bit. So that's when I really like like the rubber bits and the flexible bits and things that you change the feeling and the shape of the bit yeah, in the, the association. Yeah. They break the association and then it gives them something to soften into. And if they start to like learn to, you know, ideally I want every horse that I do a bit fitting on to be able to go around with its face on the floor, to be able to yeah. stretch down, follow the hand um, and to give them the confidence to do that. Um, you sometimes need a, a different bit than a metal bit that they've had a really bad experience with. So yeah, look, there's, there's always stuff that we can work on with training, but I think a bit really enables a rider to get a different feel and to be able to communicate. And sometimes that horse is just shut down to that particular bit. And yeah. I, I tell people to switch, you know, change bits all the time. So, yeah. you know, use this for a month, go back to your other one for a month, use this one for a month. Because depending on the riding, and I'm not a coach, um, and I'm not a horse trainer. Mm. So I can kind of see what I see in front of me and then address those issues the best way I think they can be addressed. And then I'll often send them, you know, see if your coach can work on this with you or yeah. do some work with this. And there's always other things to do. But, yes, the bit can can hugely help in yeah. those situations. I'll give you an insight into what I do with, with horses because that's that's exactly what I've that's exactly what I've discovered. You know that this, the bit held so much negativity mm -hmm. and stress and and a sense of alarm and threat to the horse that what I advocate is, of course, I have I, I, I strip everything off the horse. You know, just back to nothing, just in a round pan, nothing on his face, nothing. Yeah. And then I slowly rebuild it. And I actually rebuild the horses or their riding bitless and just get that bit out of their mouth. Like just yeah. get them accepting a person on their on their back and and all the basic responses, just and I just use a side simple side pull. And it's really fascinating, right? <laughs> For the people that I, you know, guide through my program, they all, you know, they all have a pink fit about riding their horse without a bit. But because the way that I train, everything on the ground goes into response. So they work out they can actually stop their horse and communicate with it yeah, to yeah. actually stop and you don't need it. And it's really interesting because the horse is totally different. You know, yep. yes, the groundwork's done some some good, but you get that that thing out of their mouth that worries them so much. Yeah. And they're a different creature. You already have dropped their their, um, their negative association to the whole thing by about, you know, 80%. Anyway, and then a couple of weeks later, I'm fighting with them to put their bit back in the mouth. Uh, but yeah, then they're like, it's a bit. Then they're like, so no, 
no, or do I have to? And it's just like, yeah, because you got to know how to use this thing. And you're right. What I do is I change the bit and my bit that I just go to, it's just a go-to thing. Everyone will ask me what bit that I that I use. And it's just like, I just have one that I use and it's it's only because I haven't had to use anything else. And it was because I discovered, it was the only one of its kind years ago and you might be mortified by it, I don't know. But it's just a mile of mile mouth. I'll be fine. <laughs> the, MB, the MB32, it's just the, the mile oh, of yeah, mile yeah. mouth. It was just that. So no link, no nothing. Yep. Yep. And kind of like, I, yeah, I've, yeah, they're, they're a good bit. Yeah. So I just removed the link altogether and then I just get them to carry the bit and to habituate with a metal back in their mouth mm-hmm. with it not attacking them. So just to carry it, still work off the side pull. Um, and then what I do, I eventually just start clicking the bit, bit into training and just getting them to learn how to follow the bit because that's the key. It's the horse. To me, what I tell people is that that bit, that's the horse's bit and they decide what pressure goes on it and you teach them to follow it, to even the pressure in their mouth all the time. Instead of being pulled on and and that, you know how like you get the picture of the outside rain, the horse bends around and follows the bit, bends around instead of them being like that so you retrain that response and you retrain them then to come so you retrain them first of all just to follow it laterally then you train them to come back and follow it vertically and then you teach them to put weight in it so do you teach them to go vertically with it right before taking it down and out and putting weight in it okay so all the lateral work that I do of riding on a loose rein Mm-hmm. I'm bending them and I'm, re- I'm I'm very specific in my release. I get the horse to discover lowering its head makes the rider feel better all by itself. And it happens yeah. quite quickly because what I do is I'll just, I, I do a lot of bend, bending to a stop and stuff like that in the foundation. And what they do is you can bend them and they, ha- and they have to kind of, kind of flex this one to actually do that bend. Mm. And then what you can do, you can just make the release point when they lower their head. And then yep. you just discover, you start getting on them and they'll whoo, they'll lower down automatically. So you teach them to seek yes, and reach yep. before you even put a bit back in their mouth. Yeah, yeah. And then, right. so you're teaching them, but that bit, how you get their confidence, because that's that's the whole thing you point up at. Horses lost confidence with a bit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely lost confidence. They got this neck, they get attacked by it. Yeah. So they, they're, they're alarmed by it. Yeah. You know, and then you got the three horses the three, you can put horses, in my opinion, you might might have an idea as well, but I put horses in the three boxes. There's the one that gets scared of it, right? Mm. And they'll suck behind it and they'll try to run away and they'll normally be very anxious horses. You'll get the horses that will shut down to it, right? And what they'll do is they'll just push into it, right? Yeah. They'll just lean and they're leaning themselves. They're also doing that for a physical reason as well not just protecting them. Because if, see, if you lean into that bit, when someone pulls on it, you're not going to get, because you're pushing into it, you won't get the whack, right? But not only that, they're also throwing themselves onto the forehand so they don't have to use their back, right? Then the final type is the ones that will fight it and because they're the ones that will get the tongue lolling and the head tossing and the throwing, they'll actively take it on. So you got basically your flight, fight and freeze kind of almost you can kind of say it. You know what, funnily enough, the two that are the easiest to fix with a bit are the first and one and the last one. Yes. That second one's so much harder because it relies so much on the rider using sort of pressure and release techniques. Yeah. And then, 
yeah. from what I think anyway. And and correct timing of release because that's often the reason they got like that in the first place because they never the release never came. Yeah, yeah well, I'll, I'll give you a hint how you fix it, right? All that loose rain work where the person's not touching the rain, ideally what you would like is give that person lunch lessons. That can't yeah. happen in Australia, as you said. Look at where you went when you went over to Europe yeah. and, and the plethora of kind of schoolmaster horses that people could learn on and their yeah. way of training, which is a lot of lunging and, and vaulting and stuff to get people's balance. So I just get people to ride on a loose rein to challenge their seat, right? Yeah. And it's real funny. When you start doing you can't even rise to a trot. It's, when I went through it personally myself, I thought I was a good rider until I let go of the reins and couldn't rise to the trot. Then I got good at rising to the trot. Then I had to learn how to sit to the trot without the reins. And that was another challenge to my body. So in Australia, we don't have access to all these lunch, lunch yeah. lessons, right? However, and if you what, ask for them, people think you're crazy. Yeah, yeah, doesn't happen. But that's that's how that's the best alternative you can get to improving your seat is just ride on a loose rein and people go, oh my God, my horse is going to terrible for its posture. And it's just like, yeah, but it kind of balance. You don't have to do it for very long you know, just to challenge yourself. And then you you teach them how to, um, how to teach the horse, how to what, you know, follow the feel of the bit and how to re reboot that, that response within the horse. And because they can, they've got a better, more independent seat that's not leaning on the, that's not pulling on the bit. Right. Mm. That takes, that solves them not leaning. Right then yep. they can learn to like learn how to pick it up and what they've got to do and because mm, so it kind of takes two to lean yeah because yeah. you want to know how I learned that Anna because that's what <laughs> I'd done to my horse that's what set me I had to pick unpick what the hell I've I'd done, done. It as well. yeah yeah I had it the same and I had this horse that used to curl right under and he was ridden I don't know what happened to him before I got him but I was like oh I better like everyone wants to put like you know, ride and draw reins, like lunge and side reins. And so I did. And then I think I only rode him in draw reins like twice, but I used to lunge him in side reins. And he curled under even before I got on yeah. him. Yeah, it's his habituated response, He's yeah. totally habituated. And he habituated long before me. And then I get on and put draw reins on and make the whole situation so much worse. Um, yeah. And I never le- I never got to uncurl that horse. He, as soon as he got anxious, he'd tuck right in and put his nose to his chest. And I, I had, I couldn't. I just could, and I didn't know then what I know now, and it wouldn't be a problem now. I'd be able to fix him quite quickly. But yeah, yeah, it. it, it what was I doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and when they get that, see the response that you teach to the bit, and those first responses that you teach when you first teach oh. them what that bit means. It's like with a human. The first thing you learn about something is the strongest. Yeah, it's yeah. the first thing you learn about it. So that's why with horses you got to be you've got to be real meticulous about how they well, how they respond when you pick up a rein how do mm. they move their head because it's really common just say for a lateral flexion right that you'll get a horse that learns to do this yeah one yep. way and then this the other now for those because I know I'm on a podcast I'm twisting my head one way and then I've got a, a correct kind of turn one way and like so a, therefore when they pick yeah. up that they'll you know, they'll go, they'll go crooked, you know, because they're not, they're head twisting to turn. So you don't have that side of the body, therefore will not develop gymnastically correct. Yep. And then down the track that just causes dysfunction. Yeah. And then you've got horses competing really high level that have got a head tilt. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, what do they say? You know, the Grand Prix wants to go back to prelim and the prelim wants to ride Grand Prix. So it's that sort of, you know, you get the foundations right. And I think so much of what I do in bitting 
can go back to the breaking process and the mouthing process mm. that's oh yeah done effectively or not and that really does like you say you know it really teaches that sort of following the bit learning to follow it rather than be restricted by it and be held yeah. by it and be backed yeah. by it and yeah yep. The bit is theirs. It is theirs. And and what, what it allows you, and see, when you get to develop a really beautiful contact, right, and a very beautiful connection where the horse is putting, just say it's English riding, right, and the horse is putting that gentle bit of weight into the bit, and, and that's needed, right, because when the, when there's a, there's a consistent contact then with the horse putting a bit of weight in, and as I tell people, every horse is a little bit different about their weight, but it's really never any more than about, 200 grams right yeah yeah what it allows you to do is the most tiny movements with your hands yeah that commun- you can whisper to them yeah. and in fact you don't even have to take pressure you can release pressure then to start getting responses yeah. so you don't even have to pull back you can give with a hand and yeah. and so that's that's what contact's meant contact or connection because yeah. contact really contact the word contact is it's purely just means, you know, to make touch. Make touch. Make touch. Yeah, That's yeah. it. And you can have shit, shitty touch or you can have, and I have to put explicit language on this um, podcast, Kat. Um, <laughs> you know, or it can be good, but it's connection, which means you, it, and the quality of the connection that you make between the hand and the bit and the horse kind of thing. Yeah, and I think a lot of negative things get made about contact and a lot of the studies that have been done, they put pressure sensors on bits and reins and side reins. Yeah. And I think they you know, came to the conclusion that somewhere like 250 or 200 grams to 400 grams is like the preference yeah. for most horses before, like the amount that they'll tolerate quite comfortably without showing signs of discomfort. But contact is really, it's really, it, a lot is made ne- of negatively of it. And yeah. I, I, when done correctly, because I write English and yeah. it is like you've got, you know, what I call zero, which is essentially, yeah. you know, just a working contact, which for me is like literally just feeling the corners of the lip, the tissue in the corners yeah. of the lips, I can feel the sponginess in that. Yeah. And all I've got to do is use just even energy down my rein or even just like a tensing of my forearm muscles or something mm. to communicate something to my horse. Yeah. And he's a little Welsh cob. And so he has the tendency to go, I'm just going to lean on the bit. So, you know, my two cobs, yeah. Are just yeah. So I've got to have them quite alive in the contact and be able yeah. to sort of fiddle not fiddle but a little bit put energy in there so that they don't get habituated quite quickly yeah um, but I think when done correctly we shouldn't be deemed you know it gets demonized a lot you know English riding mm. and the contact but you know horses the studies they've done really does show that a horse would prefer a consistent low level contact of like oh, two yeah. grams to like nothing to something like zero That's correct. bang 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 oh, I, can I think it's like, hard because people racing are used to a bad contact. So that's yeah. what they're making those opinions about. They, they've never been able to feel that good contact, so they can't understand it. Yeah, and yeah. your episode that you guys did on contact was awesome. That was so yeah. good. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. I think that's the first one I listened to because I went through them all and I yeah. was like, oh, this one's cool. And so that was like my introduction to you guys. And I was like, oh, my God, they get it. Like that's Yeah, yeah. that was my introduction to Shelly. My first clinic with Shelly, we did just contact, contact, contact because I have the pony that sits behind. Yeah, and he's not. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't love coming into the 
like it'll be better it's fine like it's you know you want to give them all the confidence just be like just try it I promise I'm not going to do anything <laughs> yeah no yeah. instead of the old shorten the reins shorten the reins more, more legs more, more leg more leg outside rain or inside it's like dude you don't understand it. it's not it's, about shortening the reins man it's about the horse taking the connection like well, it's also the back yeah and the back and the strength and coming from behind and relaxed and no tension it's not yeah. one thing not just the reins and the bit no there's so much and the biomechanics have got so much yeah. to do with it and that was yeah. that was really interesting and that's the one thing that I am really big on with my bit fitting is that if I see a horse moving you know and, and a lot of the horses that I go out and see bit for bit fittings aren't sound oh <laughs> but like what do I do about this because they're competing yeah. next weekend at nationals you know like I can't <laughs> and you also don't want to be that person but you also then can't not be that person and there's an ethical problem yeah. there. and I've had I've had some yeah I can't really say much but I, I have had quite a high level horse that I was quite adamant that it wasn't sound and that I wouldn't mm. help them with it yeah. um and that horse got pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and gadgets and bigger bits and all the nasty stuff. And then it turned out that there was actually physically something going on with the horse um, yeah. that got addressed, but we were probably talking 12 months of yeah. after I was like, well, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't ethically, I can't do this. Like I can't yeah. even watch this horse go around in a circle because it's not, you know, there's a problem. Yeah. Um, and it happens. Yeah. And you'd see it all the time as well. And it's sort of, once you've seen yeah. it, you can't see it. You no. can't see it no it's like yeah when you get tipped off from that when you start seeing it it's it's confronting and then it's going on this bit of a journey to learn how to convey that message to people um because people are interesting they'll go no they're not yeah and and it's also heartbreaking see this is the thing you can like they might listen to you and then they'll take it to the vet and the vet says it's fine can't find anything and it's just like just because poor vets can't find anything does not mean your horse is unsound you know like sound they they don't have access to every single single diagnostic they don't and a horse doesn't have to be hopping lame to be unsound it can be it can walk trot and canter fine but it can be unsound yeah yeah so i i'm i'm with you amen on 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 that being a confronting issue yeah it's really hard because you know some of the time I'm dealing with very high level horses and I sort of get told oh this is how it is you know this is this is what it is it's it's you know we give them this and that and the other and you know it's it's kind of sad and a lot of like some of those horses since I've seen them have have since retired or they're not competing that level anymore Mm. but yeah it's just it's kind of I don't know it's disappointing I guess yeah but People are trying, I think people are trying to do their best. They absolutely are. Well, yeah. Everyone's yeah. trying to do their best. That's, yeah, yeah, that's exactly. And that's the one thing that, that keeps me kind of doing it. Because you do get a bit despondent with it from time to time and think, oh, gosh, you know, can I can I really help? Can I really Compassion help? fatigue. Yeah, if I can't get through to the people, how do I help the horses? But at the end of the day, like nobody's being mean to their horse on purpose and everybody wants the best and is trying their hardest to, to understand their horses. Yeah. I think anyway. <laughs> They are. So I think that's a good lead into what advice would you give people? What advice would it, in general? In general, in the horse industry, as far as bitting, if you want to do that, but just as yep. far as what, what upsets you in the industry, what advice would you give people? 
I think like the one thing that I find quite frustrating is when people, I don't know if it's like anthropomorphizing or not, but when people kind of go, my horse is being a bastard because it won't get on the float. Yeah. I'm like, but it's a prey animal. And like to get in a dark rolling box is a really bad idea for a prey animal. Like that is not instinctively what that horse should do. So I guess that frustrates me a bit when, you know, or they pull back or they have these behaviors that people deem as like naughty. Like I hate when I get the massage test disobedient. Yes. I hate that. And I'm like, but that he thought the bird in the tree was going to eat him. Like, and my overwhelmed would be a better. Yeah. Yeah, Like, duh. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. You know? And I think we just need to stop trying to make our horses be like robots and maybe, um, I don't know, maybe like understand it more from their point of view. And if they're having a hard time with something, yeah, we either haven't prepared them for it properly. We've asked too much. We've overwhelmed them or yeah, the training's not there or whatever it is, but like, they're not being mean, you know, like I do dentals and people go, oh, I'm sorry. He's so naughty. I'm like, he's not being naughty. He's just responding appropriately to like me coming at him with big sticks. Yeah. Yeah. And, like we just kind of take a chill minute and just calm down and just let them like relax. And then when they're a bit, you know, then mm. I'll start the next step and stuff. But I think that's the big thing is that like, they're not naughty and they're not mean. They're just horses. Yeah. <laughs> they're doing what they know. And being very honest about it. And God, they do their best. Like I honestly sometimes can't believe some of the the things that they put up with and that they do for us, really. Yeah. 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 Well, you mentioned floating and um, whenever I've done little floating challenges or whatever, one thing I make people do is go have a ride in their float. Because if you've never ridden in a float, I don't know how the hell they bloody get in there. I wouldn't. Why? Like any half intelligent horse. Like I feel like the smart horses are the ones that don't get in the floats, right? (laughs) Like I've got a mare who was dreadful to float. I shouldn't even say dreadful, but she was very difficult to float load when I first got her. And she's a, she's a mare who's very sensitive. Mm. Like her sense of fairness. If she thinks she's not being treated fairly, just throw down and throw the toys out of the pram. Um, And it took me quite a long time to get her comfortable with the float. But even now she sees me hook the float up. Yeah, yeah, she sees me hook the float up and she runs to the back paddock and I haven't taken her anywhere in years. So yeah, that's, wow. yeah, it still causes anxiety for her, although she would get on. And I never yeah. smacked her or anything to get her on. It was just a, you know, clicker training thing. But still it causes her anxiety and she just used to do it because she knew that like, oh, I think I better. better yeah, the yeah. acceptance, <laughs> yeah, tolerance. Exactly. Yeah, they're pretty amazing. They're pretty, they're, yeah, they are pretty amazing. Yeah, very cool. Now i got to ask you one final question that was something that came up at Equitana when you were telling me, um, when you were talking to the audience about nosebands yep. on, on bridles. Yep. That's and probably actually, if I can redo my treating horses like horses, is stop doing tight nosebands. <laughs> yeah. Because why? You tell us. Tell me. Tell us oh, what so you many reasons. at Equitana. Yeah, there's so many. So... Nosebands on in themselves, I don't have a problem with. Like just a loose noseband that you can stick, you know, a couple of fingers between the bridge of the, like the nasal bone and the and the noseband. That's not a problem. Um, it's when they're over tightened that it becomes a real issue. So you over tighten them, they push into the teeth, and I normally see. I know when a horse has got a tight noseband on because when I put my hand in there, I can feel the lacerations in the. Oh, the ulcer, yeah. Be the ulcers, yeah, because the it's pushing in to the cheeks on top of the, you know, into the teeth. Yeah. Um, the other massive thing that, like Shelley, you said that you didn't know was a thing is that pole pressure. Yes. It's funny, everyone I tell about that, they go, oh, and they go home and they put a noseband on their horse and they put their hand under the 
under the headpiece and they tie it in the noseband and go, oh my God. And they run around telling everyone that they know, which is awesome because that should be, that should so be a thing that everybody knows. Like it has this indirect effect where when you tighten a noseband, because of the shape of the head kind of being quite yeah. yeah, like you tighten the noseband, it pulls down on the headpiece and causes huge mm. pole pressure. Like I've done some tests with bits that cause pole pressure. Yeah. Um, not even a tenth of what a tight noseband will cause. Wow. No Incredible. Wind. That's and then just crazy. Mouth and it, it pulls down even further. So you get these horses that then they haven't got their mouths closed like you and I, if we, ha- if we close our mouth, they've yeah. got their teeth like clenched. Yeah. And then that TMJ pressure, like temporomandibular joint pressure, there's hyoid pressure, mm. whole, the whole kit and caboodle, and it just travels all the way through to the back of the horse. Yeah, wow. But that's my big thing is I'd really love everybody to know that, you know, the problem with tight nose bands, and I think there's a real groundswell of them at the moment of people saying, no. Nah. Like that's enough now. Like yeah. we should we shouldn't be doing it. And um, yeah. I think the photo actually. And I was really torn whether I put that photo in my presentation at Quintana. Yeah. That yeah. And I was like, oh god, I'm just gonna do it. It's only little old me. No one's gonna, you know. And it was one of the riders at the at Weg, and they had this drop noseband on that was so tight, and you could see the nostrils flaring out the sides of the noseband. And I just think like, how can we go out in public, and that be accepted like I just I think it's it's become so accepted in you know not only dressage but jumping and 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 a lot of the other disciplines it's you know you take a horse cross country and you put a flash strap on it it, it's only got like you know a small hole to get air in to supply air to these massive lungs and you come back from cross country and you see these nostrils flaring and like can animals even breathe so we're really restricting their ability to intake oxygen by putting you know, flashes and things like that on, like drop nose bands, I think should just drop nose bands will cause the most amount of pole pressure because of the spot they're situated. Yeah. Um, And they also cause a lot of pressure to the nostrils and also the nasal bone as well. So yeah, yeah, it's, we just need to be really, really careful with it. And I think that EA would be great if they could do something with a nose band taper gauge, but (laughs) yeah. I've actually think I've got one, one of the, um yeah here it is check this out yay yes Good Good go, everyone i'm just holding up one of the taper gauges and i've got one you should take that to clinics with you I'm yeah actually, yeah i've yeah. actually got a 3d printer and yeah. we're printing something quite similar just yeah. in the size yeah and i want to get one in the hands of every single kid on the planet yeah. because they grow up knowing this is what the acceptable tightness for nose bands is, then yeah. we won't have this problem in 20 years' time. Yeah. So, so if we don't tighten a nose band, like if we tighten one so that we can get a taper gauge in there, do yep. you think there's any pole pressure? Uh, no. No, okay. Except if you're adding a flash strap. Yeah. Yeah, okay. In that case, you, you will stop. Like a lot of people go, oh, I can get the taper gauge in and then they'll add the flash strap and then that ceases to be able. Anything you add that's an anchor to like the bottom jaw is going to cause more pole pressure. Yeah, so okay. you know, the, and the, the idea between behind why that taper gauge is the thickness and the width that it is is because the studies all kind of point in that direction and also yeah. pole pressure factor. So, yeah, if you can yeah. get – and the nose band taper gauge is sort of two fingers. 
So two flat fingers against the nasal bone and yep. the nose. The there. nasal bone, not like the competition that the I went side. to when they started using this that were putting it to the side. Yeah, because it depends on the shape of the face. Yeah. yeah but it was got, put when this is all crunched here, this gap's all so it fits perfectly. You can put your hand through it when, you know, it can still be tight from on yeah. the nose and the chin. It's the same with girth. Same with girth, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's, yeah, I, I want everybody to have one and I want all kids going through Pony Club to know and everybody on the planet to know that like two fingers is the acceptable, yeah. you know, and, and the governing bodies. It's hard because gear checkers aren't allowed to touch horses. Yeah. So unless you're an official FEI gear checker, you can't actually approach and touch a horse. And so it's, it's really difficult to implement and, you know, we all know why it's not going to get implemented. Yeah. Um, but I would like people to know that from an ethical and welfare point of view that's you know max tightness is that two fingers if you can't fit two fingers in there it's way too tight yeah well next time you need a photo just ask me and I'll give you one of me um one of my old horrendous photographs back from a time when and I can tell you I had I was just ignorant I didn't know no well, is, I, I, I don't, never even thought yeah. I had to see blood I had to see blood to work out I was hurting my horse now today, I don't want a noseband on for a number of reasons. First of all, the damage that they do. But secondly, I need that horse to talk to me. Communicate. To tell me how it feels yep. so I can do some good training and communicate with it. So, you know, yeah. but I, was, I had to see blood. Me and I love yeah. my horse. And but so many people, even when they see blood, it still doesn't have that same oh, reaction. Yeah. Oh, and I've got another question. Sorry, just fighting in. Copious <laughs> amounts of saliva. Yes. Foam. Tell me what you know about foam. Copious amounts are not good. Um, it just means the horse isn't swallowing. Yeah. Is it that because be the tongue's balled up trying to protect itself from the bit? It can be a few different things. Yeah, so the tongue can be sucked back into the back of the mouth that's impeding swallowing. It can be that the nose band's so tight. Like, have you ever tried to swallow with your mouth completely clenched closed? No, that is hard. I just tried it then. <laughs> it hurts your hyoid. So they often won't swallow because it's harder when they've got their teeth stuck together. So you just get all this saliva coming out. The parotid glands are being squashed. You know, all the salivary glands are being crushed. And so you get this, so the horses don't want to swallow. And like you said before, you know, the horses, communication all happens through the mouth. Like the mouth is the gauge for whatever's going on with the horse. The rest and of the body and the rider. Exactly. And the feet and the, you know, the weather and everything. It's like this this um, really amazing gauge of, of what's happening in the horse. And so you often get a horse that does really mouthy stuff, but it's not about the bit or the mouth. It's about yeah. something everything else. else. Just their commute. But, yeah, the communication. So the salivation thing is really sad to see. And the marshmallow foam, I don't know if you've yeah. got. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've got lots of pictures of that too if you want. Yeah, they, they, there are some um, places in the world that they use marshmallow fluff to try and make it look like the horse has got more foam and that it's, you know, bunny ears accepting the bit. Yes, because I get told that. So I had this hard-mouthed horse that people would tell me all the foam golloping out of his mouth was a good thing, a sign of a good mouth. And I was just like, but why am I dealing with contact issues and a hard-mouthed horse yet this all this copious amounts of foam is meant to be a good thing. Yeah, when it's hitting you in the face, it's not a good thing. <laughs> it used to be a, so a little bit of a little bit of lubrication in the mouth is good. Yeah. And look, you don't horses, want it dry. You don't want it dry. 
um, because that again means that there's tension and stress there. Yeah. There's, you know, my mare will dribble when I'm riding her. Like she dribbles this really <clears throat> stringy saliva and she's not hard mouth. She's not behind it. Like she's quite happy in the contact. She's, you know, not nothing mm. problematic. So you'll get horses that will do different things depending on the horse. Um, I've also, I had a horse that used to salivate a lot, a lot of froth, mm-hmm. um, but not sort of to the level that you see you know in competition sometimes I tell you what I saw once with the horse that was hard-mouthed after I (laughs) worked it out and fixed him up I um was putting him in a a double and I got some I can't remember the type of metal it was oh yeah when I put that in his mouth it was serious I couldn't use it because the amount of saliva it was like a tap Yep. And I was thinking that must be, it, it was either like, it could have been two things. One was the reaction to the metal, yep. but two was his bad association bits as it was that had had to rebuild and the and two bits in his mouth, I think just totally blew his brains, even though I'd got him a lot happier with one. But yeah, his mouth, it was, it was disturbing the amount yeah, of saliva that. that came out. Yeah, I definitely see that with metal changes in, in bits. Like some horses are really overreactive to metal changes and others yeah. aren't. But yeah. it could have been that. Or, yeah, the, the two bits sometimes will just cause them so much stress. And a lot of the time they're not going to tell us. Like they're so stoic yeah. that they just put up with it. But there's all these other signs that you can see when you know what you're looking for that you can tell that there is stress yeah. there even if they're not throwing themselves over backwards. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it could have been either of those two things, but definitely the metal. And if I've got a horse that really doesn't like something like stainless, I'll try mm-hmm. a few different metals. You get a lot of horses that are quite overreactive in um in the like sweet iron, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. blue kind of materials. Some horses are a bit reactive in that. You know, I've had one that I've done a bit fitting on and I've got the shape of the bit right, but I'm like, something's still not right. And we tried so many bits. I normally only try three or four and I usually get it right the first or second time. And I put it in a titanium, mm. just the mouth was quiet. The whole picture just completely changed. And so that mm. horse just had a really, yeah, over overactive mouth with with different metals. Mm. That's really intriguing. Quite a, mm. a nothing, you know. Yeah. 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 So I have to ask you, Anna, is there any chance you would come back and do another episode? Because we still have so many questions. Yeah, that would be cool. I that would be it. awesome. I love this. I'm such a nerd. I love talking about this stuff. But That's all right. I've like, learned so yeah. much. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I love it. That's cool. If anybody, like, yeah, I don't know if people have got questions or anything that they want to ask, but, um, yeah, it's it's. I love talking about it and it's so interesting and I think there's just so much information that's been cracking around for years that's just, Mm. like, flat-out wrong. You know, all these things. Yeah, not true. Pony club, like, use a thick bit and, you know, all of those things. It's just they're they're, they're kind of, yeah, not really accurate anymore. All right, Anna, now can you just give people a rundown about, you know if, if someone's looking for a good bit fitter or equine dentist where are you or just you I know you've got a website and you've got some awesome yep. information on there and everything like that but can you just tell us a little bit where you work how people can um, access you uh, what services you offer etc yeah for sure so my business page is the bit fitter is my um, bit fitting stuff and Anna Minogue equine dentist is my Facebook and website for the dental stuff um, I'm in Southeast Queensland. I don't do a huge amount of traveling anymore. I used to kind of go into state and do clinics and stuff, but uh, it's tiring. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I've got so much work around here that you know I don't need sort of. You don't need to. Um, but I do offer bit fittings, so I do ridden bit fittings and I do static bit fittings. So for bits and bridles, if people want don't want to go to the shop and buy a brand new bridle. I come and sort of fit all the different parts on and different sizes and things. Um, the bit fitting, definitely the ridden is the way to go for most people because I need to see the horse and rider under saddle in action. And I do sort of talk to the pony clubs and things like that sometimes as well. Um, I can help people remotely to a point, um, but it's difficult because I don't have all the bits that I can say, try this, try that. Yeah. Um, but I can get a little bit of an idea enough sometimes to say, look, go out and see if you can borrow this bit or that bit. So we try and mash together something to help people if we can. Bit fitters wise, I know um, Horse Bit Emporium's got a few bit fitters around. The Bit Bank's got a few bit fitters around in different states. I'm independent, so I don't have, it's just me. There's no one else. Just <laughs> yeah, me. that's yeah. kind of good though. It that's means nice though. Selling You're not influenced. Yeah, yeah. So be on the lonesome. Um, and that's fine. Um, and the dentistry thing, yeah, the same thing. So I work without sedation and with manual files. So yeah, I, I do it, you know, the old, the old fashioned ways people call it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, and that's, I travel, you know, I mean, also people know Queensland, but Logan area and I travel sort of down to the Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast out sort of as far as like Gatney kind of way. Um, yeah, but no, if people want to get in touch and I've also just developed an online course um, with bitting and bridling. So oh, some of the stuff we talked about today is in that course. It's not it's not going to tell you what bit to use on your horse because if I could yeah. do that, I wouldn't have to leave my living room. Uh, so it goes more into like the bridle, the, the noseband pressure stuff and, and, and bit Anatomy. pressure. Anatomy. Yeah, so it's it's that's something that I, I launched just before Equitana last year. So I've got quite a few people signed on to that. So that's great. And that just really gives the basics. And then as we go, I'll start to um, mm. probably release more modules as people have more questions and things people want to know about. Um, I've done sort of a basic overall thing that I think everybody should know. And then I'll just add to it as we go and, and, and people can can learn a bit more that way as well. That's excellent because it's such a, as I said, it's a source of most anxiety, in my opinion. It's a ball of anxiety what's on their face. Um, yep. So, yeah, that's really a, a central knowledge. Well, Anna, thank you so much. We could probably keep you here for another six yeah. hours. Oh, not at all. <laughs> all right. So we'll wind up. Um, hope you have good days. Thanks so much for being on and we'll definitely get you back. Fantastic. Thank, thank you. you so much for having me. Okay. See you later, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Canter Therapy. You can find us on Facebook on Canter Therapy Podcast. And if you'd like to know more about me, Dr. Shelley Appleton, you can find out more about me on my website, calmwillingconfidenthorses.com.au. I'm on social media, Facebook, Dr. Shelley Appleton, Calm, Willing, Confident Horses. And I'm Kat. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Forenza Park Equine Services or Instagram at Forenza Park. If you would like to leave us a rating where you're listening to this podcast, we'd appreciate it. And we look forward to hearing from you.